Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Say, we'd like to get started. I talk to you, and you talk to me. Who are you talking to at this hour? Mr. Bradley, you better start talking. Let's start the talking. I could talk all night. My mind is J-talking. Bradley J. J talking WBZ. WBZ, you're Jay talking. We're live midnight to five, and uh, guest number two, Mike Festa, is with us. The reason Mike's here is because you pay too much for your medication. So do I. We all do, and I'm not even paying for the super super expensive stuff yet. I hope I never have to. The um, AARP is trying to do something about it, and Mike's the boss of that in Massachusetts. So here we go. How you doing, Mike? Uh, Bradley, it's great to be here, my friend. I appreciate you giving us some time uh, to talk about this issue, as you say, is very very much on people's mind. My pleasure. Let me give a little background for you. Five-term state rep. Yep. Governor Patrick uh, made you... Secretary of Elder Affairs. Elder Affairs. So yeah. you're a natural for this Massachusetts uh, leader of AARP. Well, I'm, I'm blessed to have the job. I, it's now, I'm into my seventh year as the state director of AARP, and... As uh, saying off radio, you know, it's uh, it's great because essentially as much as I've been in public life and as a lawyer, as an advocate, that this is a job that combines my interest and, you know, passion for advocacy for especially seniors um, with an organization which uh, really is the gold standard when it comes to, I think, respecting and focusing on the needs and desires of those 50 plus. So it's just a great place to be. 38 million members. 38 million members, about 800,000 in Massachusetts. So we've got a good good membership. How many members in the NRA? Do you know? I bet you uh, do About know. 3 million. So you're crushing. Uh, well, you see, it's interesting because this organization, AARP, does not endorse candidates. We do not uh, make donations to political campaigns. But what we do, and you know, I think the point about NRA, of course, is they are very effective. We have to acknowledge that. I, I don't particularly appreciate some of their messaging, but let me just say that in terms of comparing the two, we know that in Washington, um, you know, the issues that the NRA weigh in on pretty narrowly focused, but nevertheless, they are very effective in generating membership engagement with their elected officials. For us at ARP, you know, we have a much larger number, 10 times more members, um, but we, of course, have a, a full range of issues and concerns, and um, I the good news for us, I would say, is that if you were to go to Capitol Hill tomorrow and ask the average congressman or you know any congressman or senator, you know, what's your impression of AARP, they may not necessarily agree with our politics on a particular issue, but I think they do respect 
our ability to marshal our members and deal with issues on the merits. So you do have 38 members, more than... 38 million. More than 10 times the very effective NRA, 38 million. Yes. Uh, why do you make the choice not to endorse candidates and not to financially back candidates? Well, it, it starts with the understanding that the IRS uh, wouldn't want us to be doing that because we're a, what we call a 501c4. Okay. And we do have, you know, ARP is kind of complicated. Uh, let me, allow, uh, just a moment to explain that we have the foundation, which is a classic 501c3. We're giving money from the foundation to grant in, in the form of grants to a lot of organizations around the country and they're not they're prohibited from being engaged in any political activity. We are allowed to get engaged in political activity. Uh, but I, I think the best way I could describe the reason why we don't endorse and why we don't uh, give money is because aside from IS rules, it, it's a philosophy of this organization that we want to persuade, uh, and advocate uh, not only informing our members, but also to advocate with the with electeds uh, on the basis of evidence based uh, argument. And we don't like the idea that money is going to, uh, you know, that our money has to be used in that process. So we do spend money on advertising. Obviously, we I was just showing you, uh, yeah, a, big a full page ad we put out in the Globe recently, yeah. going after Big Pharma, which is why we're going to be talking for the next. Uh, 45 minutes right. ago. Right. And the Boston Globe ad says, why do we pay the highest drug prices in the world? Why do we? Right. Well, I think it is not, actually, it's not that complicated. We we know that in every other country in the world, at least, say, first world countries, uh, where, av uh, where, where prescriptions are made available and uh, drug costs are lower, it's because in every one of these countries, they have told Big Pharma, the pharmaceutical companies, if you want to sell your product in our country, you have to accept a range of pricing which is consistent with what we believe to be fair pricing. In our country, we do not have those um, uh, governors, if you will, those, those constraints. Uh, we're going to get into some of the solutions we think will yeah. address some of those costs, but they can do it because the law allows them to do it. And so effectively, the United States consumers are subsidizing the lower costs that are being borne by other, other uh, you know, people in other countries, and they can get away with it. In fact, there's, there's a lot of conversation happening right now. It used to be, in particular with that clown, I call him a clown, the one that, you know, over uh, got involved and took over a company and then jacked up the prices yeah, 750 percent i don't even want to mention his name but i think we know who we're talking about right he went to jail you know he went to jail and he <laughs> should have gone to jail but the idea that we'll do it because we can and um the other iteration of that is that you know pharmaceutical companies are owe their allegiance to their stockholders and if they can get away with raising prices um they're going to do so because it's going to improve their bottom line and that is effectively putting consumers in a very vulnerable place. Isn't it our general pro-business attitude in the United States that makes this happen? Well, here's the thing about pro-business. Uh, one of the laws we're trying to change is the idea of having real competition when it comes to market forces. For example, you've got 40 million people on Medicare, and I know, Bradley, you're about to uh, jump into that uh, pool. I myself just enrolled in May. Um, but you've got 40 million members. We, the law prohibits the government from negotiating 
prices for Medicare recipients on prescription drugs. That affirmative prohibition in the law means that the normal competitive forces, you know, you go into a, a negotiation and say, look, I'll tell you what, we want this price. We have a the, lot of people. We have a lot of people. Make pe a deal. I mean, yeah. And, and you and, can't do that. And you can't do and that. why so, is that? Well, because the law was put in place when Medicare Part D was um, uh, created, you know, in the Congress, when they expanded the opportunity to have coverage, Medicare coverage of prescription drugs. The two things that happened that, frankly, uh, you know, ARP, I think, has, I, I know, um, has changed its position on the concern around expanding coverage of Medicare for drugs, but not having the funding within the legislation. That was a that was the first challenge, and we still live with that challenge of Medicare being, you know, the the question of solvency of the Medicare program. But the second piece of it was that law change also gave the the big pharma this price protection. So that the Is law that, says you can't negotiate. Do they have to get give them that to get it through? To get uh, that would they be have to the throw a bone to big business. To sure, get it that was a big bone. I so have to we, say, we want to do this, but you feel that it's going to hurt you because there are these big big numbers of people that will have leverage. So we won't give them that leverage. Right, right. And so you know, when it comes to the question of competitive forces, I think in a in a free economy, people should have the right to negotiate and. You, you know, if you are a large purchaser, then you should certainly have more leverage than an individual. But that that is one aspect of the current situation. So while we're on that aspect, yeah. what is it going to take to get that fixed? Well, so the, uh, the political in, will and. Yeah. Well, you know, the good news, I mean, this is a kind of an interesting alignment of the planets politically. You have the president who's talked about uh, going after, um, re you know, this issue in, in, in the way of reducing uh, prescription drug prices. So that's a good thing. You have, this is a nonpartisan issue. There are a lot of Republican legislators who have signed on to legislation that would, um, among other things, uh, create uh, bulk purchasing opportunities, transparency in pricing, um, capping out-of-pocket costs for seniors. There's a number of ways that uh, that both Republicans and Democrats see compromise. Now, there is uh, probably in this summer, I think by the end of August, we will know whether there's going to be comprehensive legislation out of the Congress that will address a number of these issues. Now, I have to say, right now, the indications are the Republicans in the Senate are not supportive of this particular issue we've mentioned, which is the one about the, uh, the negotiating prices for Medicare. They uh -huh. do not support that. Uh, and that's a big hurdle to overcome because, frankly, that's, for ARP's point of view, that's one of the linchpins of yeah. the legislation. You um, need to, yeah. you have mighty clout. We need to Well, you know what has even more clout? Swing. The people who vote for these people. So that's I would fun. just say it's always a friendly reminder, you know, uh, right. that we're in a democracy and uh, legislators, uh, for, having been one myself, as you point out, I... I absolutely acknowledge that uh, constituencies um, of those members of Congress are really going to make a big difference. So we're part of our effort as an organization, by the way, is much of our work is being directed by or to and with our volunteers and our members themselves. We we are you know we have our lobby team in Washington. They're very very good, but it's much better to go in yeah. to sit with uh, Congressman Neal, for example, with ten people from Springfield rather than having one lobbyist from Washington. And I think that's the way we're doing our work.
When I watch the debates, I'm saddened that we don't hear enough about this kind of thing. We hear a lot about yeah. what I consider boutique issues. Yeah. But this is something that affects, well, 38 million people right, at right. least. Yeah, well, it actually said, affects yeah. everybody, really. I was going to say, the drug, drug prices uh, affect, of course, people with disabilities, with chronic disease uh, of all ages, and it is definitely a big deal. In fact, Bradley, let me just make this point. Uh, you know, it is ubiquitous uh, in terms of a problem because, in fact, we have seen, if you, by any reasonable measure, let's take one, the, the cost of living. If you look at the cost of living between 2006 and 2017 and you took a drug that cost X amount of dollars, you would have that drug cost X plus inflation rate today. Well, what you're seeing is that a, a, one example is a drug that, would if you just based it on inflation would cost two thousand dollars it's sixty eight hundred dollars and that's because about four and a half times the rate of inflation drug prices have gone up and that's a big deal and it's definitely impacting uh middle income and poor people particularly so folks i mean you you yeah. need to let your lawmakers know this is top of your uh your agenda right and that'll make a difference to them and then when they have no. a debate it'll probably come up right and more. you know this is something else i want to say to your listeners i'm sure there are people listening that this directly affects them there is no doubt in my mind that personal stories people that we know ourselves maybe people who are listening who have gone to the pharmacy they ordered a prescription or the doctor called a prescription in and then they go to the counter and the the pharmacist says well that'll be you know 112 dollars and they're saying wait what right I was three months ago it was thirty dollars what happened and and you know that alone is causing a lot of people to walk away from that counter without picking up the drug. That's a reality. And the more personal stories that we can share with elected officials, the more, I think, effective the messaging is. If you have a story, we want to hear it, and we want to hear it now. 617-254-1030. Doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a fancy storyteller. Just be you and let us know what your situation is. So, Mike, let's talk to Donna in Boston. Hi, Donna. Hi, Donna. Hi, I don't have an, a story yet. I'm 68, so I've been on Medicare for like three years. Maybe I'll have a story later, but I don't now. But um, you honed in on what I've never understood, and that is not negotiating drug prices. You would think by the sheer number, the volume of people on Medicare, that based on that alone, you could negotiate drug prices. Well, that's right. And uh, the problem is that the current law uh, makes that illegal. That, that, that the, the Centers for uh, Medicare and Medicaid, they cannot, CMS they call, um, they're prohibited from negotiating. Uh, well, in if that I way. was privileged enough to be able to ask a question in debate, I wanted to ask that question of anybody running for Congress, uh, or president's executive branch, of course, that's a different story, but uh, I would love to ask them point blank. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. About changing the law. It's the Congress that can do it, right? Absolutely. Two things. You can tell them that directly. Or, Donna, you can get this podcast and send it to them, and they'll hear it. That they'll would, hear yeah. you. Yeah. That would be great, I Donna. I have an uh, interesting question, I think, anyway. And that is, should Medicare be means-tested in the sense that, as far as I know, when you're 65, you go on Medicare? Does a billionaire need to have Medicare? Well, um let me just give you the, the official ARP position is we don't support means testing. Uh, we recognize, however, that when it comes to contributing to Medicare, keep in mind, as I'm sure you remember, when you are working, you are contributing to the cost of your Medicare. And that is a major amount of money that you're setting aside. If you've ever noticed when you were, you know, getting that, um, that uh, biweekly check or whatever you got paid. So people pay into the system. Um, and we uh, at ARP feel that if you've paid for a benefit, then you should be receiving that benefit. Now, one thing you could consider, and I know that this has been a discussion for a number of years, is raising the income level subject to taxation or Medicare tax. Um, right now, there's a cap on the amount of money. I think it's like $118,000, somewhere in that number. That after what? you after you make 118000 they no longer take money out of Medicare or out of your paycheck for Medicare. You could raise that income limit. Um, uh, that's, that's one proposal that's out there. Um, I hope, Donna, that answers the question, but I can tell you that... I'm not sure I like the answer. Well, I know, I mean, I but I, I, I don't have authority to exceed uh, yeah. what my organization's support is. But we do recognize that people who are in higher income brackets, uh, you know, frankly... Wouldn't they get private insurance and not get Medicare? Well, I mean, many people... Well, many people have the opportunity to certainly on the supplemental side get... Uh, private insurance, but... Or if you're still working. Or if you're still working. I mean, I know many people who are still working over the age of 65 that are, in fact, still... You know, they might have gone into A, Part A, right, for the hospitalization, but they haven't elected to go into B or D, uh, you know, D being the drugs, B being the uh, um, the doctors, or is it the other way around? Sometimes they, it must be too late. I D is remember. the drugs. Well, the D, I know. I'm just thinking about A and B. B is, is non-hospitalization. Yeah, right. That's the doc. That's the provider. So it's outpatient. Donna, here's my deal on that. Yeah. Uh, I paid a lot into the Medicare system, and I, I want to get my money's worth out of it. And so, so they, I know, Bradley. There you but go. Let's, are you still there? Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Right oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know, Bradley, and so did I. But I'm talking about the, uh, people that are billionaires. Billionaires? They have to go on Medicare when they're 65. Okay. If, if it's up to a billion, then I'll, I'll agree with you because I don't feel that I'm yeah. probably going to get over that bar. It's unlikely. And if you do, you can spend money on a wardrobe, for example, as a start. Uh, right. Well, let me agree to disagree on that one, I guess. No, I'm agreeing with well, you, Donna. You a, a billion point, dollars Donna. is where we're going to make well, the cutoff. Okay. Thank you, Donna. Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. Donna. Okay, bye. All right. Well, we've reached the half, halfway point here with Mike Festa. And we, we actually want to talk about the stop prescription greed campaign right. by and, name. And we'll talk yeah. about uh, the 
Yeah, well, there's also a whole thing going on at the state level. We really should cover. You okay. know, the, we're talking. We've been talking a lot about Medicare at the federal level, but there are some state legislative initiatives that are currently pending that we're actively uh, supporting. We okay. Can talk about that next. Great. And your political background serves you well in this role, right? Um, I think so. I yeah. mean, I, having actually being a lawyer has helped too. You know, yeah. but inherently you're an advocate. That's kind of part of your training, but. That in being in the legislature, I served five terms, and that was a wonderful experience for me, and then being Secretary of Elder Affairs. So I've had a chance to be in the senior space uh, of advocacy in particular uh, for almost uh, almost 25 years. We're trying to get at the high cost of drugs, and we're talking about how bad it is and what can be done, and we'll get to some state legislative initiatives and a campaign there's a lot of good that can be done. I mean, that's the most important takeaway right. from this conversation, I hope. We're looking for your stories, too, though, your, right. your situation. And we have Howie, the great Howie in Brookline. Hi, Howie. Say hi to Mike. Uh, hello there. Uh, listen, could I clear up something? Uh, when you were talking to that lady, I think you said that uh, the taxes that you contribute during your working life, uh, then you start to collect those when you retire. But my understanding is that the people that are retired now, they're being supported by the people who are working now. Because, as an example, let's say you have a worker that made low wages all their life. So now they're collecting Social Security uh, retirement checks. But at some point, they're going to start collecting. If they live to 100 they're going to start collecting way more money than they actually paid in. Uh, it, it, uh, don't you think that's the, what's going on? Well, let, let's let's separate the two. I mean, when it comes to Social Security, as you know, that, that is uh, taken out of your paycheck. And the amount of money that you get in retirement or when you elect, whether it's as early as 62 or, you know, as late as 70, um, is based on your contribution. So it, you're going to get a much lower amount of Social Security benefit if you are a lower wage earner. Uh, there That's is a maximum. True. I think the maximum is um, if you were to go to the age of 70, um, as a say if you're 65 now, I think the maximum is $3,400 a month. But keep this in mind. We're talking, of course, about Medicare. And in the Medicare system, um, this is a, essentially you are paying as part of your, uh, you're getting deducted from your paycheck. Um, a portion of that is going towards um, Medicare solvency because it's a budgetary issue. Uh, this is, uh, with Social Security, it's really off budget, if you will. It goes from um, that money is brought into the Social Security system and then it's paid out through that system. In Medicare, um, it is the United States budget which makes up the difference between what is collected through these uh, payroll deductions or, 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 you know, charges and what it costs to pay for all of these um, medicines as well as, obviously, hospitalization and other medical care. So yeah, this, I, I, what you're saying, that, that, I, you, I know yeah. what you're saying, Howie. You're saying yeah, what are you that saying? it's not your own private fund and you're not getting dollar, and dollar right. for dollar the exact amount you put in, and you may end up getting more back than you put in. But on the other hand, some people live to 30 and get nothing, or they live right. to 50 and get well, nothing. Well, the thing about Medicare, too, is medical, con let's just put it this way. If you have a medical condition which is chronic and costly to care for, 
Um, you know, it's not based on how much money you contribute to the system. You're in that system. You will get that coverage. Right. Um, you contribute to society yeah. as a whole, Howie. I'm aware and then, of yeah, And then they contribute back to you. What's your concern, yeah. though, ultimately? Where's the inequity as you see it? Uh, well, I, I don't want to call it an inequity. I just want to call it a reality. Uh, my assumption right now is that there's a lot of people, as far as their retirement checks, their Social Security retirement checks, uh, they're going to be collecting way more than they actually paid it in taxes. Uh, it's not a criticism. I think it's just a reality. We're kind of conflating Social Security payments and right. Medicare, which Two is different, confusing. Very, very different, if I may yes. respectfully make that point. Oh. Well, all right, then. Okay. okay. Thank you, then. Well, thanks for calling in. Okay. But I think what, what he's getting at is Medicare-wise, chances are, if you live a long time and people are living longer, that you may contribute more, that you may get more than you contributed. Well, okay. Yeah, but I that, don't think that's unfair. That's just the accident That's just of the, the numbers of it, and th right. those need to be dealt with. If you look Sorry, at Sorry, we're living longer now. Right. Uh, that, and by the way, we should always remember that, that we are, we are blessed with a longer living situation than our parents and grandparents. But, you know, consider this fact. If you looked at private, let's forget about Medicare. Let's just talk about health insurance itself. If you're doing it strictly through a private arrangement, whether through your employer or whatever, it's not based on the diseases you have. It's not based on uh, how much it costs to take care of you. Um, you're going to get the same, if you get the same coverage as your friend who happens to not be burdened with a chronic disease or have a major surgery that's uh, in their future, um, you're going to cost, that second person is going to cost a lot more to the system. But we don't, we don't allocate that way, and, and nor, frankly, should we. The concern about pre-existing conditions, as you know, that was another big issue with Obamacare, which we, of course, were very concerned with, um, because that's when, if you had pre-existing conditions that you could be charged a lot more for your premiums. And uh, fortunately, that's not the situation currently. Yeah, that was a horrific situation. What's the point of insurance if if you get sick? Right. Then you you lose your job. You can't get insurance. Well, plus the cost. I mean, I, I don't want to get too far afield, but right. let me just make this observation about Medicare generally. You know, the good news is Medicare as a health payer system is as efficient, if not more so, than any other system that's out there. And it definitely is an easier system, ironically, even for providers. You know, when I've taught, when I was in the legislature, I used to talk to small hospital administrators, and their biggest complaint was they were spending so much money, not on direct medical care, but on accountants and uh, fee collectors that had to find out what insurance company uh, what insurance carry they had to get their reimbursement for. And they would have, you know, five or six or seven or ten, in some cases, uh, 40 people working just for that purpose. For Medicare, if you're the doctor and you provide a service, there's one place to send the bill and there's one place to expect to get the payment. And those prices are negotiated. They are worked through the system and there are certain limitations on how they can be billed. Prescription drugs is a very different kettle of fish. This is where it's an open checkbook, frankly, and that's the biggest problem, is that people are, whatever whatever the government's being charged for these uh, prescription drugs, we're talking, of course, about worrying about the co-pays for the individual, but the government is taking it in the throat because it's $126 billion 
every year to pay just for Medicare Part D on the government side. So the law has to change to allow the government to negotiate prices for Medicare Part D. Right. That's one big deal. Okay. You know what else is going on that I just got to get this out there, Bradley? Yeah. It's, a, it's a real serious problem. A lot of these big pharmaceutical companies have made it a point in their strategic plan to acquire generic drug companies or to negotiate with generic drug companies to keep those drugs off the market longer in order because generics, as you know, are inherently less costly and they provide a competitive disadvantage to the brand name. So they're working these deals all over the place where they say to the generic guy, you know, you're issuing a pill for a hundred bucks. We're charging a thousand. We'll make the deal where you agree to not, you know, to hold on to this company or not to go to market for longer so we can charge a thousand. Why isn't that price fixing? Well, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. I can tell you that uh, I'm not an antitrust lawyer, but apparently uh, it is done now with impunity. It is done uh, with the net effect of making it more difficult to reduce prices. And legislation that we support at ARP includes uh, prohibiting, as a matter of law, this kind of deal making where they're uh, keeping these generics off the market. You, you know, uh, but Mike, that's you being come, done. You should it's come crazy. on more often just to keep these issues in yeah. top of mind. Well, it's a, it's, it's a big, you know, I'll say one thing. This is issue. We talked about it already. It's, it's affecting a lot of people. In fact, we know that the average Medicare recipient is averaging well, their average uh, income is $26,000. So if you just do the numbers, I mean, based on the cost of living in Boston alone or the Boston, greater Boston, Massachusetts area, if you will, and in a lot of places around this country, you know, the difference between paying $30 copay and $300 copay is frankly the difference between having the pill or not yep. or cutting it in half or taking it every four days, you know, whatever is being done to accommodate because that is a very narrow margin of ability to afford um, not just drugs, but all the other things that it costs to live in this area. We still have to look at the state initiatives. And, oh, and yeah. Howie, before, we're going to go to break, but before we do, Howie and Brookline. The way I see it, Howie, is you are just concerned that people were using more than they put in. And my answer to that is what we need to do Let's figure out a way to make up that funding shortfall. I, I don't have a, a moral problem with that. I mean, things are more expensive now and people are living longer. I, we do need to figure out how to, how to fund it. Right, and reduce the costs also on the, the cost. other end. Yeah. Okay, let's break and take a look at state initiatives, initiatives to reduce the cost of drugs. And we'd love to hear your story. What's your situation? It's WBZ. JJ, Bradley J. JJ, Tuck J. Jay Talking with Bradley J. WBZ News Radio 1030. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and less to the radio. You always 
listen to the radio? Our lives are ruined already. You still have a chance to grow up and be somebody. Fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy night. But a night is different world. If you're there, speak to me. Jay Talking, Bradley J. WBZ News Radio 1030. Okay, it's BZ. We continue with the always interesting, always excellent Mike Festa, Massachusetts State Director of WARP. And we're talking about drug prices, which I guess is, is the, the big It's our biggest bad thing. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, too. You know, as an organization that is involved in advocacy, we, uh, we took this on this year as our number one priority for both federal legislative efforts as well as state-based efforts. And we want to get to that now. And yep. I just want you to know... The timing is very interesting. Right now, the Massachusetts legislature in the conference committee on the budget are trying to resolve their differences. There is a piece of that budget which has direct language that affects drug prices. We, as an organization, and Healthcare for All and a lot of other consumer groups have fought and continue to advocate for the Senate version of the bill or the budget, which basically provides for transparency to allow uh, the government and for the public to understand wh- what's behind these prices, what what goes into charging X amount of dollars for a price uh, for a for a prescription drug, and that transparency itself will create a much better way of understanding uh, what's next. The, in addition to that, bulk purchasing of drugs at the um, state level. The, the Governor Baker uh, put an initiative in, which is essentially the Senate version that's now being discussed, that would give Mass Health the right to do bulk purchasing, effectively you know, doing the same thing at the state level that we were looking for and are looking for at the federal level. Um, we strongly support that Senate version. If you, w- any listener who wants to make a call to their legislators, right now, this week, is a perfect time to do it because that has not been yet resolved. If the budget does have that language in it in the, in the end and the governor signs it, we will see at least the state mass health program save almost $100 million, they estimate, in drug costs. So if someone wants to call, taxpayers what, what exactly is the sentence they would say when they call and leave a message or, or do what you do to, when you contact your legislator? What would they actually say? They should, we support. We, uh, we support reducing the cost of drugs, and we know that the Senate passed a better version of the bill, a, a better version of the budget. Please support the Senate budget. Okay. Anything then, else? Uh, well, I mean, I, statewide, and, and I would just say that on the, um, you know, there are a number of other aspects of that bill, but I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, right? Getting up against the, uh, the end of the show, but I guess the summary I would tell you is this: even if the federal government does not act, we see plenty of opportunity in the state of Massachusetts, Commonwealth of Massachusetts, to to make things better, including, by the way, importation, reimportation. Uh, allowing drugs from other places that are manufactured. Reimportation. Outside. Well, yeah, when you have it, uh, it goes. Let's say it's manufactured in the United States. It's out to Canada and brought back in. And it's cheaper in uh, Canada, so they can get yeah. it back to us. Cheaper. Right. I mean, we in the there was a time when there were a lot of buses going from Boston to Montreal to get drugs that way. Uh, that's kind of died down, but I can tell you that um, you know there are. 
here's the other thing. If, if there's misbehavior in big pharma, let's say that misbehavior is price fixing or inappropriate uh, charging uh, for cost of drugs, the Senate version also gives real teeth to the attorney general for enforcement wow. as well as um, uh, another agency which is charged with uh, enfor- or uh, uh, investigating the cost of all uh, medical services and drugs. So it's just a much stronger. In fact, I have to say, Big Pharma was very successful in the House. They lobbied for a much weaker version of what we were fighting for, and they were successful in the House. So now they're trying to reconcile between the House and the Senate. We think the Senate is, did a much better job of it, and we hope, and we know the governor supports the, you know, the more uh, broader, stronger bill. Are we better off in Massachusetts? Healthcare-wise and drug-wise and humanitarian-wise than in other states, I I would say Mississippi or Tennessee? Well, I... I don't know. I think that's an open question. The cost of living is a, is really brutal. I mean, we, I, you mentioned Mississippi. We are ranked number 49. Only Mississippi is ahead of us for the difference between what it costs to live in our state and how much people have for income. The economic insecurity of seniors is extraordinary. I mean, six out of 10 seniors are economically insecure because the cost of living is so high in this area. And when when you talk about prescription drug prices, you exacerbate that gap. And it really is. I mean, this is a matter of life and death for a lot of folks who are in that Hobbesian choice of not being able to afford it and knowing that if they don't take drugs, they, they could not survive. And and of course, they go into emergency rooms prematurely because they're not taking the right medication. Taxpayers are paying more costs associated with emergency rooms, and it's a system that needs some serious change. We haven't really used the phrase we "stop the greed." Stop greed. That's our campaign. Program. That's an unabashed mm-hmm. message. We believe, and you know, here's the thing: Big Pharma will say, "Well, we're doing so much money. We're putting so much money into research." and development. And in Massachusetts, you know, there's a lot of great companies uh, in Massachusetts that are manufacturing and developing these drugs. You know, but that's all well and good, and we appreciate that. But here's the thing. you They spend $175 million just lob- on lobbyists in Washington. They spend, I believe, $8 billion a year, uh, or some number like Six. that. Six billion, excuse me on advertising for their brand drugs. You can't go watch one TV program news story without getting inundated, right? right. So they're, ju- they're spending a lot of money on non-research. Now, I like the idea of what they do in England. They make it illegal to uh, have advertisements for drugs in England. Right. And I guess the good news for the manufacturers, if it were illegal in the United States, is they'd save a lot of money. But suffice to say, you know, I don't believe that it's one thing to have these orphan drugs where it costs so much to develop them. But a lot of these drugs have been on the market for many, many years. And the fact is that economies of scale and opportunities, competitive forces, should bring those costs down. Or they should at least be tracking the uh, inflation rate. Instead, they're you know going exponentially up. And uh, that's why we say, you know what? Stop the greed. This is ridiculous. This is not defendable, and it shouldn't be defended. And we have something to do about it in terms of advocacy. And that's why the people on this show listening and and those in the public in general 
really can do something about it. There is active legislation federally and state that will make a difference. We just have to, you know, raise our voices and get involved. Stop the greed. Cut drug prices now. You know, I'm going to give these two numbers out all night. Please House do. and Senate. Right. And I'll give you a little guide now. 844-226 is the, are the first numbers for both. 844-226-7029 for the House, 7026 for the Senate. 844-226-7026. But there's no way you remember that. Go get a pen. I will right. read this all throughout oh, the night. Also, too, you know, go on our website, aarp.org slash ma. Slash ma. Yeah, and just you'll see all kinds of information around our uh, Stop the Greed campaign at the state level. And then, of course, again, on the federal stuff, we've got a lot of work to do, and uh, we're, we're encouraged that at least it's moving in the right direction for some major legislative change in Washington. So uh, he's been a legislator and—, and uh, well, lawyer, and now you're working for, working for us by way of AARP. What are you doing for the summer? I mean, personally. Um, I, I have a, I'm a serious gardener, so I'm spending a lot of time in the garden. I will be going out of the country in late September, uh, late October, uh, excuse me, August to uh, Barcelona. Tell me about your garden. Uh, it's a serious garden. Serious? Is, uh, you grow seriousness in the well, garden? Well, uh, the best way I can describe it, it's, it's Italian meets Asian. It's got uh, fish ponds, grape arbors, really? uh, fig so trees not, in the oh, ground, wow. vegetables like you wouldn't believe, uh, peaches, pears. You grow herbs? Oh, well, of course. And a lot of herbs. Okay. Not the kind you're looking at me. Thinking no, I'm here. thinking I basil. Give it up. Basil. No, I got the basil, I got the sage, I got the rosemary, I got the thyme. So I you have the all cilantro, these fresh, fresh Parsley. Herbs. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and in fact, Sandy, before I came over tonight, she said, run out and get some basil. I want to put it on the uh, sauce because we had a nice uh, tortellini with the red sauce. Ooh. But in the garden, I'm very serious about this. I, I do terracing. Uh, we've got, I've got probably 20 uh, tomato plants. You. If you've got extra tomatoes, bring them sometime. Well, I may do that. Thanks a lot, Mike. It's WBZ. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.